0: We light the first candle of Advent, the candle of hope, and remember what is written in the Gospel of Luke. And Zechariah, visibly shaken when he saw the angel, was seized with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son. You will name him John joy and gladness will come to you and many will rejoice at his birth for he will be great in the sight of the Lord the Christmas story is a story of promise and hope it is the story of answered prayer God using ordinary people to accomplish his extraordinary plan Luke begins his gospel with God's promise to a barren couple that they would have a son. Impossible? Not with God. As we enter this Christmas season, we too might face obstacles and difficulties in our lives that are overwhelming. But this story reminds us that God is watching, listening, accomplishing his plan In the midst of this distressed world in which we live, God keeps his promises. His word can be trusted.
1: Well, I do welcome you to the service here. As you watch it, whatever time you're watching it, Wherever you're seating, your space now becomes a sacred place as you participate in worship. Thank you, worship team, tech team. Uh, we have a few guests here watching, and it's just our, our privilege to be able to, and, and we're thankful to God that we have this opportunity and ability to provide this for you at this time, in this way, even though it's less than ideal. But the Christmas season is, is a season of hope. It's a season of promise, and it's a great encouragement to even to my heart to read the Gospel of Luke and see how God's promises come through even in our impossible circumstances and situations. That we can count on God to do what he says he will do even when it seems like there's no way that it could happen or is even possible. And so that's where we are today. And as we journey through Christmas, we're going to hit into the gospel of Luke. It's a first century document where Luke, who who is a researcher, uh, he's called Dr. Luke. He he evidently had some medical training. The way he describes medical uh, maladies in his gospel indicates that he was a a man of learning. He compiles this account of the life of Jesus Christ so that we can learn about Christ and about Christmas. And what we're going to find is that we see God's promise... And we see a reason to have hope in the gospel of Luke. And so even in your impossible circumstance today, even in the impossible situation that we find ourselves in the world where it just seems like, like look, what is Christmas going to look like? What's going to happen down the road? What is going to be the next news report? We, we live with this uncertainty, and yet as we come to the gospel of Luke, we're reminded that we can count on God to do what he says he And so as we come to God's word, would you pray with me? And I'm going to pray that God would just speak a living message to your heart as you look at his word with me together at this time. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. That when you make a promise, you keep it, Lord. That how this this word, the Bible that we have, is is, is a living document which, which shares your heart for us. And as we enter the Christmas season, wherever we are today, watching this video, may we find encouragement from your word as we look at it together. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As we begin talking about Christmas, we've got to understand there's a backstory. And Luke, in the very beginning of his gospel, chapter 1, verses 1 to 4, he lays out the backstory of, of, of the Christmas story. He says, and this, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's a prelude to the gospel, but he says, Now many have undertaken to compile an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us. Verse 2. Like the accounts passed on to us by those who were eyewitnesses and servants of the word from the beginning. So it seemed good to me as well, because I have followed all things carefully from the beginning, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know for certain the things you were taught. Now, Ooh, that's a that's, a, that's a, lot, a lot of words. But understand, it's one sentence in the Greek. Luke is introducing his book, and he says, look, I want you to understand, this really happened. He talks about what's been fulfilled among, among them. It talks about the account, the eyewitnesses. This is a real story. He talks about how he's carefully researched and compiled the details that he's put into this gospel so you know it's not something he made up. Now, as we come to Christmas, you got to understand that there's a lot of stories out there. And sometimes we lay them all up next to each other and we think, oh, there's so much in Christmas, right? And and sometimes we add, you know, TV specials to that, Charlie Brown's Christmas, Miracle on 34th Street, you know, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, Frosty the Snowman, the Little Drummer Boy, and you add them. Whatever else, you know, the Grinch that stole Christmas. We can add all of our favorite stories and we think, okay, Jesus and and Joseph and Mary, that's just another story in the pile of stories. And, And Luke wants you to know that this is no ordinary story. Don't put what I'm going to tell you into the same category as all those legends, those tall tales, those mythologies, those fictions. <laughs> they're great stories, but they're not this story. So this is based on eyewitness accounts. I've talked to people who saw it happen, and I'm giving you Theophilus, who's this Roman official, a, a, an accurate, researched compendium of the life of Jesus Christ, and here's how it starts. It doesn't start with Mary and Joseph. It starts before that, with this couple named Zechariah and Elizabeth. You see this in verse five of Luke chapter one. It says, during the reign of Herod, king of Judea, there lived a priest named Zechariah, who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah, who had a wife named Elizabeth, who was a descendant of Aaron. So he introduces the characters. He's like, let me tell you how Christmas or Christ began. But it doesn't start with Mary and Joseph and Jesus. It starts with this obscure couple living in Judea with a real king. This is actual history he is telling us. This is not, a, this is not fable. This is not mythology. This is not a legend. This really happened. As you talk to your kids about Christmas, make sure you make it real clear. We love Christmas stories. But when we talk about Mary and Joseph and Jesus and Elizabeth and Zechariah, this is not just another story. This really happened. In a, in a point in history when a terrible tyrant was on the throne in Judea, there was this godly couple. And, and Luke is presenting a contrast for you and me. There's a really nice couple here, and there's a real horrible king over here. And, and, and they're living in the same world, in the same universe. The horrible king is looking for power and control and domination and respect. The godly couple are looking for for God to show up in their lives, for God to show up in the kingdom of of Israel, for God to to bring the the servant to to come and and to to bring salvation to his people. This couple came from a, a priestly lineage, You understand that the the nation of Israel had 12 tribes, and one of those tribes was dedicated purely to the service of the temple for worship. They weren't given property amongst the the, the nation, you know, amongst the land like everyone else. They had, their inheritance was to serve the Lord, and they both came from this heritage of godly service. It describes them in verse six. They were both righteous in the sight of God following all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blamelessly. They are true, God-fearing worshipers of Yahweh. They love God. They obey his word. They do all the right things. It's a genuine, they're the real deal. In the midst of all of this, there are some corrupt priests, King Herod himself appointed the high priest, and it was sort of a a political appointment as opposed to a religious appointment. But in the midst of all of this political intrigue and instability and power mongering is this godly couple who, in God's sight, have measured up. They've done the right things. They've been faithful. But there's one thing that's wrong. Verse seven. But they did not have a child. Because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both very old. If you read through the Bible, you will know that when it's made mention that someone can't have a child, that's a setup for for God to do something. I mean, if you read through the Old Testament, you would understand that that Luke is is mirroring similar stories in the lives of the patriarchs that, that were the foundation of the Israelite faith. But here in this moment, in in this period where they're they're longing for God to do something, this couple don't quite measure up because they don't have a child. In the Jewish way of life, your children were an extension of the promise of God in your life. A Jew would, 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 would just shrivel back to think of, of the thought of actually destroying an embryo in your, uter- in your uterus. I mean, you would never do that. I mean, this was life. This was God's promise. I mean, you wanted children. You, you considered them a blessing of God, and, 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 and God did bless people with children. But when God, people didn't have children, people made the logical conclusion and deduction that there must be something wrong with them. Somewhere in their background, Zechariah and Elizabeth had blown it or in their parents' background, that that somehow they didn't quite measure up, even though as you looked at their lives, there was nothing that that was evident at all. They were godly people, but surely there must be something wrong, because they don't have children. And some of you may be watching have experienced the agony of infertility, the longing for a child, but never being able to, to, to have one. I mean, it's a it's a heavy burden. It's not a nice. And you think, what's wrong with me? What's wrong with, with you know, my spouse? You know, what did we do wrong? And, and no doubt these thoughts came across their minds. No doubt there were whisperings in the village where they lived. And, and, and of course, they're, they're just trying to do the right thing. But, but they're hoping. They're like, man, if only we could have a child. But then it says, the door shuts on that hope for them. Because it says, Elizabeth was barren, and they were both very old you know there comes a point when the biological clock for fertility stops ticking she hits menopause and they both look at each other with hot flashes running around the house and it's like this is it there's no more eggs being produced you know he, he's you know he's not the strong man he once was you're like i guess i guess that hope is gone it's over And you think, okay, how come God is punishing this godly couple then? I mean, if they're a good couple, if they're a godly couple, if they're blameless, why doesn't God give them children? Because God has a plan. And they, in their old age, are going to discover how God's promise can show up in our impossible circumstances and situations. But he did receive good news. We see this in verse 8. Now, while Zechariah was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, he was chosen, verse 9, by Lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to enter the holy place of the Lord and burn incense. I've got a picture here, you'll see on the screen, of this is the priest in the holy place burning incense. Now, you've got to understand, there's approximately 18,000 priests in Israel your particular unit served two weeks of the year. And then uh, you would go home and do a trade or a farm or whatever you did, and then you'd come back on the major feast. So five weeks of the year, you would get to serve the Lord in in, in the temple. The temple itself was dedicated only for the priest to go in and within the, the, the temple were, were these two rooms. One was the holy place, one was the holy of holies. The holy of holies was where the Ark of the Covenant was, and only the high priest, only once a year, got to go in there. But then in the holy place, priests could go in, but, but only when, when your name was chosen. For decades, Zechariah has served, and finally, his name has come up. Once a year, once, once in your lifetime, I should say, once in your lifetime as a priest, you would get this honor and privilege to go into the holy place and offer the incense. You would bring the incense in with the Levites. You would put it on the altar of incense. And then you would offer the prescribed prayer on behalf of the people outside that are praying. And you would would pray for them. You'd pray for the hope, for the consolation of Israel, for the Savior, the Messiah to come. And and then then you would leave and you'd go out and you'd bless the people. I mean, it was was what every priest longed for. And it was finally the best day ever for Zechariah. It was his opportunity of a lifetime. Finally, some good news in his life. He would at least have this special moment where he could just go in and do his priestly duty. A priest would do a lot of preparation before this. They would be very careful to make sure that they didn't come into any type of defilement according to the law. No going or to any funerals or contact with any dead people. You had to make sure that the people around you were all in a clean state. He would abstain from conjugal relations for several days before this opportunity because that was part of, of the purification ritual. He would he would have these baths and, and he'd cleanse himself and he put on a, a white garment, bare feet, with the Levites. He would walk into the into the holy place. They would place the the the, the fire and the incense on the altar. They would leave and then he would begin to pray. He had practiced the prayer. Memorized it, recited it many times for this moment. This was his day, his opportunity. He was finally fulfilling the, the longing of every priest to be, and to, uh, just across the, the, this huge veil, this, this, this curtain, is the Holy of Holies. He knows he is so close to the presence of God. Every priest longed for this, but also they were scared of it. Why? Because, I mean, boy, if you, didn't, if you weren't right, boy, God could just zap you. So, I mean, it was a fearful moment, but an exciting moment, a, an exhilarating moment. It was the moment of his life. And it says in verse 10, the whole crowd of people were praying outside at the hour of the incense offering. The Levites have left. He's there barefoot in his clean garments. He's cleansed. He's pure. He's reciting the prayer. He's getting ready to do his duty. And suddenly something happens. Verse 11. An angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense appeared to him. You've got to understand. The last time God spoke in a prophetic vision, a word from the Lord, was 400 years before this. There's been a lot of history in Israel. There's been a lot of different you know, things going on in, in Jerusalem. I mean, all, you know, if you could read the history, I mean, it's, it's full of just crazy things happening, but God has been silent. suddenly there's Zechariah just going through the normal routine of a priest and, and this angel shows up. Boom. He didn't really expect that. And Zechariah verse 12, visibly shaken when he saw the angel was seized with fear, of course. I mean, did he do something wrong? Is God going to zap him? I mean, what, what's going on here? In verse 13, it tells us, but the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. And your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you will name him John. What was Zechariah praying for? People think, okay, he was there praying for a son, And it doesn't say. He probably was praying for the salvation of Israel. He was praying for God to bring the Messiah, for the the fulfillment of the promise to come. And and that's no doubt what he was praying for. Lord, deliver us. Save us. And suddenly the angel shows up and says, guess what, Zechariah? God's listening. Some of you wonder if God's listening in your circumstance. Things have happened that have not been good. <laughs> Life begins to unravel, and you're like, what is going on? And you pray and you pray and you pray, and it seems like the prayers bounce off the ceiling and, and hit you on the forehead. And you're like, is God listening? Is God listening? I don't know if God's listening. I hear other people talking. Is God listening? And then, and then suddenly, Zechariah g- g- gets the note Yes, I'm listening, Zechariah. I heard you. Heard you loud and clear. Heard you for the last 20, 30 years, Zechariah. And it's coming. You're going to have a son. You're going to name him John. Now, normally you named your son after yourself, after the family name, but he said, no, this son will be named John. And let me tell you about this boy. He's no ordinary boy. It says in verse 14 Joy and gladness will come to you, and many will rejoice at his birth. He will be great in the sight of the Lord. He must never drink wine or strong drink, and he'll be filled with the Holy Spirit even before his birth. This is a special child. He's going to be set apart for God's purposes. He will turn many people of Israel, verse 16, to the Lord their God. Just like you as a priest, Zechariah, are here to to encourage people to follow God, this son of yours will be a a unique priest. He'll be a prophet. He's going to be there to get people ready for the Lord. In verse 17, and he will go as forerunner before the Lord in the spirit and the power of Elijah. Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers back to their children, and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared for him. Now he's quoting from the book of Malachi, which was the last written record of God, the revelation of God in the Old Testament. It's the last time in the Hebrew Scriptures that God spoke. It's recorded. It's written down. And it talks about this forerunner to the Messiah who would come and prepare the way and in the spirit of Elijah. It's not Elijah, but but just as Elijah, Elijah had the power of God in his ministry, so this person will have the power of God in their ministry. He says, this person is your son, Zechariah, John. And he's going to prepare people for, for the Lord. And, of course, Zechariah doesn't understand the full implications of this, but Luke will it out for us as the story goes along. Uh, This is a huge ministry and role. And so other gospel writers, you know, introduce us to Jesus, and and they introduce us to John the Baptist. Luke gives us the backstory. Luke is the only one that gives us this story. This is how John showed up on the scene. God showed up in an impossible situation with his promise, the promise for salvation and the promise to give a son to Zachariah and Elizabeth, the unexpected visitor. But then, of course, we see this, the human response in verse 18. <laughs> Zachariah said to the angel, how can I be sure of this? For I'm an old man, and my wife is old as well. I mean, isn't it just amazing? I mean, he's doing this, this service in the temple. He's, he's praying, and then all of a sudden, the angel shows up, gives this amazing report, and then all Zachariah can say is, I don't see it, that, that this could even be possible. I mean, look at me. You know what my wife's like. I mean, how can this happen? How many times? How many times do we do that to God, right? We face a situation, and we only see it through the eyes of of humanity, through our limited, time-constrained perspective. We think, oh, there's no way God can help me in my situation. There's nothing he can do, and oh, boy, I'm stuck, And God's like, I've made a promise here. You can trust me. You can put up your hope in me. But he's like, how can I be sure of this? And then the angel answered him in verse 19. I am Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God. And I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. Like, look at me, Zechariah. I didn't just show up, you know. I wasn't just shopping downtown Jerusalem. I came from the very presence of God Himself. He sent me this direct message to you directly. Like, who do you think you are, Zechariah? Like, like, I'm speaking to you, I'm Gabriel. I mean, if he read the book of Daniel, he'd know Gabriel is a significant servant of the Lord, an angel, and, and he's active in God's duties. He's like, look, this is a special assignment. And you're wondering how this can happen because you're all like, I mean, here I am. I came from the very presence of God. I mean, the holier place than then even this place. You think, you think across the curtain is a holy place. Let me tell you where I came from, heaven itself. God is speaking to you, Zechariah. And now, verse 20, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time, you'll be silent, unable to speak until the day these things take place. How can you be sure? Well, here's how you can be sure. You ain't gonna be able to talk. Pastor Frank told me a little story (laughs) before the sermon. He's like, you know, how come there's no Christmas carols about Zachariah and Elizabeth? And of course there is. Silent night, right? (laughs) There it is. That's from Pastor Frank. It's just for all of you out there. (laughs) But it isn't. It isn't really a funny thing. I mean, God's like, boy. I'm finally speaking and you're not receiving it. Sometimes God really communicates to us and we we just stubbornly put our feet on the ground and say, no, it can't happen. It won't happen. It's impossible. And God says, if I'm saying it, it's possible. My words are life. And when I say it, it will happen. It always does happen. And the Christmas story is a story of God's promises being fulfilled. It's a story of hope being fulfilled. You're not going to be able to talk now. Understand? There's a problem now, because as the priest would leave the holy place, exit the temple, there on the steps were pious Jews praying for the nation, praying for him, praying for this moment, and then he would come out and offer the ironic blessing: "Lord bless you and keep you. Lord make His face shine upon you. Be gracious unto you. Lord, let His upon you, give you his peace." You know, probably not that fast, but he would say it right. He comes out, and there's nothing coming out. <laughs> He's there, but there's no words. He's gesturing, he's pointing. The indication is he probably can't even hear. He does, you know, he's just looking and he sees mouths. He sees, you know, he doesn't hear anything, he can't say anything. And they're just like, what just happened here? You see in verse 21. The people were waiting for Zechariah and began to wonder why he was delayed in the holy place. Normally, I mean there was a certain amount of time, you know, that prayer took about Three minutes and 44 seconds, and then the priest would come back out and be done. But but he's not coming out, so something's going on there. And he comes out, and he can't speak. When he came out, he was not able to speak to them. Verse 22, they realized that he had seen a vision in the holy place because he was making signs to them and remained unable to speak. And when his time of service was over, he went to his home. And still unable to speak, he's at home. But then we see that God keeps his promises. In verse 24, after some time, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant. And for five months, she kept herself in seclusion. She said, this is what the Lord has done for me at the time when he has been gracious to me, to take away my disgrace among people. The very thing the angel said would happen, happened. Luke is preparing you and me for the story of Jesus. And the prequel to Jesus is Zechariah and Elizabeth and the conception and birth of John the Baptist. God keeps his promises. You see this interesting thing. The wife of Zechariah, Elizabeth, is not nearly as unbelieving as her husband. She receives it and rejoices in this news. And of course, she keeps it quiet. Why? Because the first person that's gonna figure it out, according to Luke, is Mary, her cousin who also is part of this grand plan that God's putting together to bring salvation into the world that Luke wants to share with you and with me. And it begins with this humble couple who are just trying to serve God, who who are wondering why life has been so hard and, and so unfulfilling, and now it is being fulfilled as God made a promise because God had something special in mind for them. I mean, isn't it something that in the Bible, God almost likes to purposely put his people into an impossible situation? I mean, he makes Abraham this promise. Yeah, you're going to be the father of a great nation. And his wife is just like Elizabeth, this old lady. And Abraham's like, well, how is that going to work? It's going to work because God makes it work. (laughs) And she has a son named Isaac. And and Isaac means laughter. He laughs, right? And who's laughing? God's laughing, actually, because it's like, I can do this. He delivers his people out of slavery in Egypt. And and, and he's leading them into the promised land. and, And he leads them right to the edge of an ocean. And behind them, they can hear almost the, the hoofbeats of chariots, of trained soldiers right on their heels, waiting to slaughter them, a holocaust on the Red Sea. And they're wondering, what? And God sets them up in this impossible situation. Why? Because he wants to open up the sea. He wants to do what only he can do, just so you don't take credit for your, your wonderful escape, and you can, you can say, oh, we got out on our own. No, 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 God got us out of there. Later on, the Midianites are just ravaging the people of Israel, and finally God raises up this judge named Gideon, and, and Gideon's ready to fight these, Mid- I mean, this is a, a massive group of Amalekites, Mid- you know, and there they are, you know, they've been just taking advantage of Israel, you know, and, and God's like, hey, you're gonna fight these people, you're gonna take them down, Gideon, okay, and he's like, you got too many people, what do you mean I got too many people? Like, like don't you see, I only got like 20,000 here, and they got like 200,000, you got too many people. Let him go. If you're afraid, get out. Okay, a bunch disappear. Okay, and Gideon's like, okay, well, that's not as many, but we'll try. And he's like, still got too many. Take them down to the water. You know, and they do this little drinking game at the water, and, and he ends up with 300 men. And he's looking over this vast camp of tents, animals, smoke from campfires, and, and, and it's like, how am I going to take these out? You're not going to take them out, Gideon. I'm going to take them out. The impossible situations. God intervenes. I mean, there's lots of these stories in the Bible. God almost likes to take us to those places where we can't fix the problem ourselves, where we have to completely trust and rely on him. And then when he shows up, we just give him the praise and the glory. Christmas is one of those seasons where these little miracles happen. I I found this story, and of course, you know, I love a good story. And uh, this is a story from 1950s in a radio station in eastern Idaho. There are also rumors of Christmas miracles, such as one that allegedly occurred out in the desert of eastern Idaho back in the 1950s, where there was a small radio station that broadcast about 12 hours a day. The owner of the station, Clyde Emerson, every year would gather from among his listeners a group of would-be thespians to write and put on a Christmas play on a particular year, the play, as usual, was about Mary, Joseph, and the Christ child traveling to Bethlehem, having to stay overnight in a manger, and being visited by shepherds and then three wise men. The performers stood around two microphones in the studio of the little building, that housed the station, and read their lines from mimeographed copies of the script. The sound effects were handled by two people one who could make donkey's hoof sounds by tapping his mouth with his fingers, and another who had figured out to, how to imitate the buying baw- of sheep. <laughs> Just as the play got going, the lights went out, along with the telephone. The performers stayed for a while, then felt their ways out of the door and drove home. The owner of the radio station sighed, put on his coat, and opened the door to let himself out. Just then, the sheriff's car pulled up, and the sheriff got out. He walked over to the radio station owner and said, Great radio play tonight, Clyde! Best you've ever put on. The wife and I were just listening, and she was so thrilled. I just had to drive over seeing how we're just a couple blocks from each other, and thank you. It certainly made our Christmas, Clyde said. Wait, we couldn't broadcast. The power was out. No, it wasn't, the sheriff said. We heard every word. Before Clyde could get into his car, others came by to tell him how much they enjoyed the radio play. He kept trying to tell them that the station had lost electricity and that they must have been listening to another station, but they would have none of it. All they could talk about was how much they enjoyed it. Finally, the pastor of his little church came by and mentioned, as had the others had, how wonderful the radio play had been. I just don't understand it, Clyde said. The power was out. The place was dark. We couldn't see to read the script. The pastor thought about it for a long time and then said, Clyde, The only thing I could think of is that your electricity may have been out. And I don't doubt you one second about that. But friend, the power was not out. On this holy night, you had the power with you all the time. And you know, we ran into an impossible situation this Christmas. We faced the possibility of reduced gatherings and inability to have services like we normally would. I mean, I don't know what's going to happen. But I do know that God loves to work in impossible situations and circumstances. And whatever's going on in your life right now, even though it seems so overwhelming, you wonder, I don't know how I'm gonna get through this season. I don't know if my business is gonna survive. I don't know if I'm gonna have a job. I don't know what my school options are gonna be. Now. I mean, I don't know what it is. I don't know who I'm gonna spend Christmas with. Whatever the impossible circumstances you face, understand that God's promises speak to you in the middle of your circumstance. God often shows up in big ways when we can't show up in ourselves and we have to depend on him. And the story begins with this just amazing story of just an ordinary couple who encounter an extraordinary God. And my prayer for you, as it is for for myself, is that we would just encounter God in our Christmas season, in the impossibilities that we face in our circumstances that we would just have the hope that only he can bring. And even when it seems like the power's out, he is still speaking, and he's still communicating. Let us trust in him this Christmas as we continue to follow him. Would you pray with me as we close? Father in heaven, we thank you for your word, which speaks a living message to us. And I thank you for... The Christmas story, the story of Zachariah and Elizabeth, the story of of the conception of John the Baptist, the story of your promise and your word being fulfilled. The, The story, Lord, of your salvation. And I pray, Lord, that we could see your salvation come to our city this Christmas. That you would use your people here at New Life Community Church and across our city that follow you and know your name. That we could share the hope that only Christ can bring. And so we thank you, and we praise you, and we look forward in anticipation to what only you will do this Christmas, that you may receive all the glory. We pray this in Jesus' name.